2: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training
3: platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
4: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
5: Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EZ to 203203. to two oh three two oh
6: three. You know, I guess I think I've always been a professional critic, you know, or some sort of professional appreciator or something.
1: This is serious business
3: here, man. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world.
0: Amy Mann's haunting songs have inspired audiences, filmmakers, and playwrights. But with her latest release, she proves she can also be quite a charmer. I'm Greg Codd of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis
3: from WBEZ and Columbia College. Singer, songwriter, and sometimes comedian, Amy Mann performs live in our studio and we review the latest from pop phenom Bruno Mars. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news.
0: That is the song you could not escape in the year 2012. Gotcha's somebody that I used to know, biggest selling single of the year, biggest selling download of all time, Jim. A big year for music sales once again. Overall music sales up to a record $1.6 billion in 2012, up 3% from the previous year. That includes all albums, singles, music video, digital tracks. It was a down year, once again, for CD sales. They've been going down for uh, a decade, basically, but the digital side was very strong. Now, the top 10, Jim, we've talked about this phenomenon in the past, but it's official now. This Adele Record 21 was the top-selling album for the second year in a row. That's the first album ever to do that, 4.4 million sold. Another big story in the top ten, Taylor Swift's Red. 3.1 million sold, number two record of the year, the biggest weekly sales of any album since 2002. So another impressive year for Taylor Swift. And One Direction, Jim, your favorite group, not one but two albums in the top five. That has never been done in the SoundScan era since the start of the 90s. Now we're looking at this top ten, Adele number one, Taylor Swift number two, One Direction at three and five. At number four, the biggest selling rock band of the last two years. Can you guess who it was? Mumford and Sons. Exactly.
3: I say I wouldn't use the word rock in connection with that.
0: The only thing that could even remotely qualify as a rock album, though, was Mumford and Sons' "Babble" in the top ten with 1.4 million sold. Third straight year for the Bieber in the top ten. Take that as a sign of the Mayan apocalypse coming <laughs> or not, but Bieber is on a tremendous roll. And four of the top ten albums in the nation, our country albums. So the Walmarts, the big box retail outlets are still selling a lot of CDs to country fans. That's the only place where CDs are selling. The numbers
3: being up 3% overall music sales are really coming from two places. Number one is digital downloads. That's an increase from 2012 of 5%. 1.3 billion tracks downloaded and paid for last year. Pretty healthy, you know, despite all the illegal downloading. Number one was somebody that I used to know by Gautier, downloaded 6.8 million times. Carly Rae Jepsen was up there, fun, we are young. The other bright spot, and we love to mention this, is vinyl albums climbing every year. They rose 18% to 4.6 million vinyl albums sold. Truly extraordinary. Greg, it's hard to explain, but for 2009, 2010, and 2011, the number one selling vinyl album was the Beatles' Abbey Road. It was number two this year. Why Abbey Road of all the others? I don't know. A fine album, one of our favorite Beatles albums. And the number one selling album on vinyl in 2012 was Jack White's Blunderbuss. listening to Sound Opinions, and that's the song Charmer, the title track from the latest album by Amy Manns. The singer-songwriter's been making music since the 80s, first with the group till Tuesday and later as a solo artist. Now on her eighth studio solo album, we get a series of character sketches about different charming individuals, from the charismatic to the completely narcissistic. As a veteran of the pop music biz and a product of the MTV age, Amy knows a thing or three about this topic. In fact, she plays with the idea of fame and her persona on two of the videos for the album, both directed by comedian and WFMU radio host Tom Sharpling. In the video for Charmer, actress Laura Linney plays a robot double of Amy Mann. Then, in the video for Labrador, she's joined by actor John Hamm of Mad Men and Sharpling's co-host, Super Chunk drummer John Worcester, for an amazing shot-by-shot recreation of Till Tuesday's classic hit video for Voices Carry, complete with the rat tail. When Amy and her bandmates Jeb and Bruni and producer Paul Bryan visited our studio, we began by asking her why she wanted to spoof herself and how making videos is different at this stage in her career.
4: God, making videos was so um such not a fun enterprise when when you were dealing with a label because there were so many people who interfered on so many levels and it was really hard to to get anything done that was any good. So much of that seemed so out of my hands that uh it was really, I mean, honestly, like, except for the Voices Carry video, which I, where I got along with the director and, you know, we did this sort of little straight narrative story, you know, that I thought that was a fairly enjoyable experience, but, but just about every other one was You just felt like, this is not turning out the way I had thought it would at all. (laughs) So with these last couple of videos that I did, um, I did it with my friend Tom Sharpling. I knew exactly how great he was. He's, you know, he's a really good friend. So I'm. I know exactly how funny he is and, and how brilliant his ideas are. And and when he came to me with these, um, you know, I wanted to do a couple of videos. And, and the two ideas that he presented to me, I was like, <laughs> not what I expected at all. And, and you know, like, uh, let's let's go.
3: Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot right off the bat, Amy. All right. It's a show hosted by two critics. All right. Tom Sharpling yeah. of, of uh, you know, Sharpling and Worcester, the best show on WFMU. Paul Thomas Anderson, Joel and Ethan Cohen. Who is the more talented director or
2: tour that you've worked with?
4: <laughs> That's a funny question. Um, you know, I I mean honestly, I think Tom is a great director and should be directing like bigger other things and I <laughs> yeah. I really hope that he eventually will.
3: I love that John Hamm plays him in the video.
4: Oh my god, I love that so much. John Hamm is so game. Paul Thomas Anderson is uh, I've spent way way more time with with Paul on set, so I, you know, I mean the 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 Coen brothers thing was literally like five minutes. And then, you know, like they seem very nice. They seem very quiet. And then I was out, you know.
3: <laughs> with minus one yeah. toe.
4: Yeah. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson's an incredible director. And watching him work with actors, I think he's kind of gets the best performances out of actors. He's really amazing.
0: But the idea of you parodying yourself, uh, parodying, you know, one of the most iconic videos of the 80s. And a few years ago when you were doing that series of videos about you soliciting... Stars, friends of yours, to do the Christmas benefit. Yeah. Will Farrell mistaking you for Jewel. that wasn't even
4: a benefit, by the way. It was just a show. It was just a show for fun. That's how sad it
7: was. Come in. Hey, Will, we need you on set in five minutes.
4: Okay, thanks, Inman. Hey, Inman, I want you to meet Jewel. Jewel. Imen,
0: he's working on the movie.
2: Um. Hi. Hi. Right. hi. Good to meet you. Nice to meet you
0: you 're sending yourself up in these in these videos, which is you know pretty rare, I guess people do not associate pop stars with having that sort of sense of humor and maybe you get cast sometimes you know people have heard one or two of your more famous songs think, oh she's kind of a downer or she 's a little bit bittersweet in, in her music, and yet there 's this incredible self deprecating humor is in some way you're trying to undercut that reputation that you may have I just
4: you know most of my friends are comedians and I spend a lot of time with them and, and it just you know it's a kind of natural thing to want to want to work with them I think also um, don't underestimate how insane comedians are <laughs> I oh, mean yeah. talk about dark and broken people <laughs> Yeah. so uh, you know so that's it's like we, we vibe together very well on a lot of different levels <laughs> but uh, yeah I mean I, I just spend a lot you know like I spend a lot of time with uh, with comics and and you know like Paul Paula Tompkins and uh, Patton Oswalt's you know one of my best friends and I, I mean I find them very fascinating I'm very envious of their particular talent and, and uh, you know just I love being around it
3: well you've said this in interviews a lot and this album is called Charmer and and Part of you wishes you were more charming, one of those outgoing people who can relate to anybody, anytime. And you've said that you you like to hang out with comedians because almost as a defense mechanism. While they're being funny, I don't have to be in the spotlight. I can just come and do my music
4: later. I don't remember saying that, but that's probably, yeah, I mean, especially when we've done shows together. Mm. Me and my husband, it was about 10 years ago, did a tour that was predicated on the the idea we had sort of started it in this small club where you know there was one night where we were talking about how difficult we found it sometimes to do kind of in between song banter or talk to the audience because when you're concentrating on the music it's sort of a different headspace than talking and so we got this idea like well why don't we you know like they have a pinch hitter in in baseball let's you know you get the expert to come in pinch hit the banter (laughs) and then you know and then he goes out you play the song and he comes in and he pinch hits the banter, you know, b- between the next songs. And so we started doing that just as a lark, and it just was so much fun.
3: I also just saw something, Amy, that you did uh, recently in the wake of uh, Hurricane Sandy out east. And you came out and you, you played a song <laughs> that commented on I mean, you, you redid Barry Manilow's Mandy as I did. Sandy, <laughs> I and did. now yeah. in in almost anybody else's hands, uh, that could have come off as really bad taste, but it was it seemed to be cathartic. Everybody in the room just seemed to love it.
4: It's funny. I I think. I mean, I think everybody was. You know, it never occurred to me, actually, that people might find it in bad taste, because it was just a, I mean, it was for the people, it wasn't a benefit, by the way, look, once again, mm. I, I hate that I'm <laughs> apparently never playing benefits, um, but uh, it, w- it was a reschedule, because we had to cancel shows, so okay. so it was, our show was rescheduled, and I th- just felt like the fact that people had made, made it out, made it to a show, I don't know, like, I wanted to just give them, like, a little something that... I don't know, like that kind of marked the occasion and I don't know I did it as a you know sign of solidarity I did not mean to oh, <laughs> no, and no. people took I mean, it that way
3: what I'm trying to say <laughs> is I think you're more charming than you, you admit to being well thank you <laughs>
4: thank you very much
0: well and the self-awareness too because I you know, when you talk about these comedians and, and filmmakers and stars that you that you know personally, the, the ability to sort of laugh at yourself is, is a great quality to have. I think a lot of people outside of Los Angeles think of everybody there as sort of narcissistic. And I think that's kind of a theme in your record to, to an extent. The Charmer record has a lot of songs about these kind of characters who are so self-involved. You know, I love that line in Living a Lie where no one bears a grudge like a a boy genius just (laughs) past his prime. And that could describe a lot of people in your world, I would imagine.
2: Um,
4: Well, you have to, you know, the thing about L.A., because L.A. gets such a bad rap, but the thing that you have to remember, too, is that it's the place where, you know, just like talented artists come, you know, come to. So there's like, there's a community of people who are, you know, not sort of just trying to be movie stars, but you know, like kind of artists who are trying to practice their craft and in, in whatever way. You know, to the other thing, I mean, it's a it's a company town, and the and the industry is the industry of making things appear other than they are,
2: mm-hmm.
4: and that's like a weird thing to be expert at uh, <laughs> because that is the the core of narcissism is to value appearances over their core, over, you know, value the false self over the real self. There are people who get, who get out of hand with it, absolutely. I think especially people who are heavily rewarded with, with fame and money because then those people become very isolated and insulated from, you know, from real life and real life consequences of bad behavior.
3: Amy, before we get too far away from Labrador, you're here in the studio with uh, Jeb and Bruni on piano and Paul Bryan on bass, who wrote some of these tunes with you and produced the record, right? Yes, and yes.
4: In fact, the uh, the line that you just quoted about the boy genius, Paul Bryan wrote that because I wrote that song with him. Um, yeah, he produced this record, and he produced my last record and, and my Christmas record, and he is awesome.
3: Will you give us uh, Labrador while we're here?
4: Absolutely. One, two,
2: three, four... <laughs> So incapable of changing Your eyes so i mm-hmm.
3: That was Labrador, performed live by Amy Mann. We'll continue our conversation with Amy after a quick break. Then later in the show, Greg and I review the new album from hitmaker Bruno Mars. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
0: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and you've been listening to our interview with Amy Mann. Jim, besides being one of the best songwriters of the last two decades, she's got a well-deserved reputation as an independent thinker. And maybe that's why people like Paul Thomas Anderson, Aaron Sorkin, and Pat Oswalt are drawn to her. It's also why she's become an unintentional pioneer in independent and digital music. That song you just heard, How Am I Different, is from the 2000 release Bachelor No. 2. Now, that was passed up and shelled by her major label, Interscope, and she eventually bought it back and successfully released it online. She formed her own label, Super Ego Records, and has been doing it on her own ever since.
4: The putting out of my own records is, is a, you know, that's still business. And I, you know, like I have a manager and a couple of people in the, the you know his his office that that they're like the team that put out my records. So, so it's a quote label that I ultimately have final say over and we're all really good friends. So, it's not like being on a label. However, I don't want to give the impression that I do any work because I just <laughs> I mean I do the work of, you know, like writing songs and going on to tour and that kind of thing. But I'm not like some business, you know, entrepreneur who, you know, like I'm going to strike out on my own. Honestly, I was just sick of it. Like I, you know, just in, from an artistic point of view, I don't like to be told what to do. I don't like to be told what to do for ridiculous reasons. Mm. I don't like to have people try to change my music. It's it's one thing to take advice from somebody whose opinion you respect, who's either a musician or a fan. But for somebody who thinks that they have an idea about marketing and then they can back engineer you to fit their idea is just ridiculous. I just got really sick of of living in that world. And, um, you know, and also like, I I have no expectation that you should sell my music just because I'm awesome. Uh, If you don't think it's saleable, great, work with someone else. But, you know, the attitude was, well, we're not going to release you from your contract. And then they would just keep you there like sitting doing nothing. Mm -hmm. So that just seemed, you know, really unfair. And I, you know, I just, I just wanted to get out of it. And as And as as soon as I did, I was was super happy.
0: Tell me a little bit more about getting back into the game of actually recording albums, because you are a fan of the collection of songs that work together as an album. Uh, You grew up in an era when that was valued. Now, people would say it's completely undervalued. There's no point in making them. You're your own boss. You run your own label. Why do you keep making these things this way?
4: Well, I mean, at this point, there is not... That much of a reason to make it to make you know for monetary reasons you know because but like mm-hmm. people, you know obviously like people are kind of in the habit of downloading music for free and and um you know i think I think i actually you know the problem is like when you download something for free, you tend to devalue it yourself, and so I don't know like it's a self devaluing uh <laughs> circle of uh your Boris kind of situation. <laughs> Uh, I can't exactly answer the question of why why one would still make a, an album. Maybe there'll come a point where that can't happen. I mean, you know, because albums cost a lot of money to make. So I don't know. I mean, you know, why I made this record is because uh, I you know I felt like it.
0: I guess financially, does it make sense for you as a as a business person running a label?
4: I think well, I think this record will probably tell the tale. Like if it doesn't make enough to cover its own expenses, then we'll we'll have to do something else.
3: Mm-hmm. We had Fred Armisen on the show, and I think that the most cogent commentary. I mean, there's been a million words tossed yeah. around about about artists fighting for their rights to get paid for songs, or, you know. But but that little skit that he did on Portlandia, where you're working as a maid cleaning house.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's our cleaning lady. That's great. It's Amy Man. What? That's not Amy, Amy Man. Man. Yes, it is it is. So crazy. She's like in our house.
4: Why is she cleaning her
2: house? I mean, I guess the music industry must be really suffering or something. I don't
4: know. I'm pretty lucky because I've been around for a while and I have a reputation and I, you know, there's still some other sources of, of income that, that happen. But, you know, artists who are younger who haven't been around are, consider. you know, I mean, they have to consider not, not being able to make music anymore. You know, with the downloading thing and records, it's like, you know what? I don't know what the answer is. I have no answer if I can't afford to make records, I will not make records. Uh, I can't get mad. I can't get mad because you because uh, if I get mad, I will stay mad. You know, obviously, if somebody makes something and offers it for sale, if you take it illegally, to me that's moral transgression. I that's how I would feel about my own actions. So that's my take on it. But uh, I you know I can't control what people do. Well,
3: let me play devil's advocate just a little bit though, Amy. You know, um. Charmer is getting great reviews. People are really excited about this record. You're on tour now. If they've illegally downloaded it, but they invest in coming out and spending 25 or $30 to see you guys perform live
4: tonight? Well, mostly my tours break even. I mean, I don't make really? money. I mean, this is the big myth. Like, no, nah, you could just go on tour and make a... You know, <laughs> yeah. then, no, I mean, I toured to support a record because the record is what makes me my living. Mm. So... Um, You know, on smaller, super scaled down acoustic tours, like once again, you're going to see a lot of people playing acoustic tours because they can't make money bringing out a full band. So a tour like this, which, you know, I wanted to have a full band to really replicate the new record. And, uh, you know, but it's I mean, you know, money's money's tight.
0: Money's too tight to mention. So, okay, so touring breaks even records are a dicey proposition whether they make money. Uh,
4: Singer-songwriters don't t- sell T-shirts. That's yeah. another myth. Yeah.
0: <laughs> another myth exploded. So we cut out another revenue stream yeah. there. Uh, what are we left with? Licensing? To to yeah, but even that,
4: people are paying less and less money because the market is saturated with a million bands who are trying to make money licensing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to be crazy to go into this line. Work. We've always known that, yeah, I guess, but it's even crazier money. now.
4: Yeah. It's crazy.
0: You did get nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, some
4: yes, good I did. Things, right, <laughs> indeed. And I don't want to be a big bummer, like I, you know, because honestly, like my thing is, I can't think about stuff I can't control. I mean, that's yeah. the en- that's the end of the story, you know. Like if you're asking me, do I think it's kind of jerky to steal somebody's music? Yes, yes, I do. I mean, I'll, you know, I I do, but but also, you know, I mean, everybody's got you know their own level of conscience, like you download one thing to check it out or whatever, you know, like whatever. But, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still able to pay my mortgage and I'm super lucky and I'm extremely grateful every day to do that. I get to do what I'm doing and, um, you know, and change is a part of life and everybody's got to roll with it.
3: We are here in the Jim and K maybe performance studio with Amy Mann. Amy, the level of, uh, musical knowledge and love that you have as a songwriter and and among the band you guys are setting up before and said you know after checking the tune you said you know are a little less new wave in that a little less split ends a little more spirit in the sky <laughs> norman Greenbaum. and i read another review where you said my goal for this album was to to write songs as good as jackie blue yeah. by the ozark mountain daredevils
4: Yeah, Jackie Blue is like my my cornerstone song for this record. Like hmm. it's the song I started off listening to. I was super inspired by. I think it's a great kind of spooky sounding pop song. That song got me thinking about pop music in general, like what my favorite kind of pop music, and you know, I realized, like, oh, it's probably a lot of stuff from the 70s like this mm. that just is this classic, you know, that you never appreciate at the time, and you go back and listen to it, and you go, man, this stuff
2: is great.
0: Mm-hmm. One thing that struck me, I, I came across this where you were talking about writing songs, and you said it's more the mood of the music that inspires the lyrics than the other yeah. way around, which struck me as interesting because you are... Often acclaimed for your lyrics, and I would think you would have gone the other way around. Let's build these uh, this music around this poem or whatever that I've written. But it's exactly the opposite for
4: you. Yeah, it's the opposite. I think lyric writing is about marrying words in in a particular way to to music. You know, I mean, you can't. I don't know. It's like the. I mean, the music is what's going to strike people first. So that's going to get the. That's going to put them into a certain kind of emotional tone. Already, so you either have to match or counter, or you know, weave in and out of that tone, you know. And I'm a real big stickler about the lyrics really matching the meter and and being being singable in a certain way and not awkward. I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't always, you know, match my own standards, but but um, you know, but I have, but I have them, you know. I mean, I'm I'm always trying to work up to that.
0: We're here with Amy Mann and her. A small version of her group, uh, Jevin Bruni on piano and Paul Bryan on bass. What are you going to play for us next, Amy?
4: Let's do Charmer. One, two, three, four...
2: Just a...
0: charmer the title track from amy Mann's new album here live on sound opinions uh that sort of sets the tone for the whole record i played this for my daughter and she said what do you think she goes wow oh, that's really catchy Aww. and then and then i uh we started talk, you know looking deeper into what the song was about and it, it's about this uh, this person it, it seemed like this classic la character this person can walk into a room, charm the the heck out of the room, but it has a lot of a lot of self doubt underneath all of that. It's almost like this coat of armor that is put up. Yeah. Would you say that's sort of emblematic of of, of, of where the culture is going in some ways? Well, I
4: did not write it about an LA person. I actually yeah. wrote it about a. I started writing about a friend of mine who's charming in a nice way, but mm. then as I as I just started to think about charm and other charming people, and you know, I knew this guy knew this guy once who was a. It's actually a member of parliament uh, and <laughs> who was bizarrely a fan of mine and we became friends <laughs> and he was very he was very charming but he would all, always say like you know i just feel like a, you know i feel like a fraud like they're just going to discover you know that i i don't know what i'm doing i think a lot of people have that mm-hmm. um so i you know i so that like as i was thinking about charm i remembered him and i remembered him saying that and and uh you know just kind of thinking like man being charming is very sad because you're totally dependent on the approval of other people mm. and and you don't really have a like a real sense of yourself as you know apart from that and and uh, you know and the song got darker and then I you know it's like well now it's not about my friend uh, now it's now it's kind of this generic you know charm person.
0: So you've got a, an album that we can certainly read as this as this commentary on on the age we live in. What do you see ro- uh, the musicians' role? I don't think people think of you as an overtly political artist, but obviously people. Look to artists to may, maybe get some meaning out out of life. You know, sort of a broader context. Is that the role that music played for you, and can it continue to play that kind of role in in other people's lives today?
4: It's funny. I I think the musician's role is just to is just to be there, and if people need something from you, they will find it. And I I think that there's no preparing. To influence people, I think as soon as you try to influence people, you've failed because then you're, you know, manipulating and controlling, and and you honestly have no control and no, you know, like no knowledge of what somebody is going to get out of something or how or or what it is they get out of it.
0: When when you're a kid though, and you're hearing a song like Jackie Blue for the first time, and what does that do to you as a, as a person?
4: Well, I'll tell you. I mean, Jackie Blue is a great song, and it was, you know, it, that that I think hearing that wasn't super pivotal. It was just like, oh, I love this thing. But there was a song that was, that, that was weirdly pivotal. It, it's a, this, this artist in the 70s. His name was Gilbert O'Sullivan. He had, a, <laughs> he had like three hits, I think. And one sure. of them was a song called Alone Again Naturally. And it was this, you know, just nice little pop song, like maybe a little melancholy sounding. To
1: think that only yesterday I was cheerful, bright, and gay Looking forward to wouldn't do The role I was about to play to knock me down Reality came around And without so much as a mere touch cut me into little pieces Leaving me to doubt Talk about God in His mercy If He really does exist Why did He desert me In my hour of need I truly am
4: And I was, you know, as a a kid and listening to this, listening to it on the radio with my friend. And she goes, you know what this is about, don't you? And I said, no. And she goes, it's about a guy who's about to commit suicide. Mm. And I, my mind was blown (laughs) because it had just never occurred to me. I don't know, like, there was something so fascinating about the idea of, like, you have this, this song that you're sort of listening to in a surface way and you're enjoying it. But if you switch your consciousness to a different level and pay attention to the song and to the to the lyrics it's about a whole different thing and that's just that's like you know that's some that's some heavy uh, it's a heavy situation yeah. yeah and i yeah it really had an impact i'm like that is awesome
3: i've read that before from you and and it explains to me everything i've always loved about your career <laughs> you know the multi levels of the media. you <laughs> know you know the great technology story behind alone again naturally too right no the first landmark copyright sampling case. Mm. There were three mm. or four notes that Biz Markey took turned backwards for the beginning of one of his raps from "Alone Again, Naturally," well, and the New York State uh, Supreme Court declared that that was unlawful theft and d- had pulled all of the records back and destroyed them. It was a Warner crazy. Brothers record, I believe. And it was hundreds of thousands of records destroyed. Wow. And it was for like, for like three or four notes. It was the piano riff at the beginning of the song. Wow,
4: that's kind of crazy.
3: Yeah, the
0: Warren sampling began with that riff. Oh, with wow, that that's amazing. Gilbertosa. More relevant than you know. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> We're here with Amy Mann. Amy, what are we uh, going to hear next?
4: Well, I'm going to play an older song, which is the uh, song from the Paul Thomas Anderson movie Magnolia. It's called Save Me. All right, here we go.
2: i mm-hmm. suspect they could never love anyone but the freak the suspect
3: Save Me from Amy Mann. Amy, it's been a complete pleasure having you on Sound Opinions. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: To see video of Amy Mann performing, visit soundopinions.org. And we want to hear from you. Share your thoughts on Amy Mann or anything in the world of music at 888-859-1800. Coming up after a short break on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, the latest from singer, songwriter, and producer Bruno Mars.
3: sound opinions i'm jim de my partner is greg Cott, and that is bruno mars with a song called locked out of heaven first single greg from his second album unorthodox jukebox i just love the bruno mars backstory he's 27 now but he was born peter hernandez on honolulu hawaii and he started his musical career at age four impersonating elvis in front of his uncle's band moves on as a teen to begin impersonating Michael Jackson and then to really start writing songs on his own. As the leader of the three-person production team, though he's really the driving force, the Smeezingtons, he scored big, penned the song and produced the song Forget You for CeeLo, a huge hit. Also big hits with Travis McCoy, B.O.B. and others. He was much in demand as a behind-the-scenes player but started his solo career in 2009 and really... Took off as such. The Lazy Song, killer hit, led my mixtape the year it came out. Now it's time for album number two. Smeezingtons are credited on much of the album, but he also brought in some really big name production help, some of the best that money can buy in the pop world today. Mark Ronson, Jeff Basker, Emil Haney, Diplo, a really impressive roster. What is he giving us? Let's play a track called Gorilla, and then we'll come back and give our opinions on the new Bruno Mars on Sound Opinions.
1: A killer, you'll be banging on my chest Bang, bang, Goody. Just
0: bang bang gorilla. Bruno Mars with the song Gorilla from the new album Unorthodox Jukebox. There are a few contenders, but that's I'm my candidate for the dumbest song on uh, the new Bruno Mars. Yeah, album. I'm with you there. But nonetheless, even in this dumb song, I mean the lyrics are nothing to write home about. There's a thing at the end where he does this Prince Falsetto and gets into this big anthemic chord progression. It's pretty cool. The one thing about Bruno Mars that has been consistent over those two albums, the guy writes great hooks, Mm -hmm. really concise pop songs. On this record, you've got 10 songs, 35 minutes. There are no concessions to uh, modern-day trends. Everybody's working with these EDM, electronic dance music producers, to get some new oomph into their music. Everybody's got the hip-hop cameo, or vice versa, the R&B cameo on their record to try and cross over. Mars is doing none of that. He's sort of a classic appropriator. He's taking styles of music from the past 30 and 40 years and basically doing his own versions of them. So you can pick the influences in Locked Out of Heaven, clearly a police vibe there yeah when i was your man you know take your pick is it elton john or billy joel that he's imitating there <laughs> In show me he's doing his dance reggae thing In treasure he's doing a little bit of a funky disco bass line maybe donna summer would have done that song 30 years ago if i know pure sam cook i mean it's bringing on home to me all over again for a new generation of listeners that never heard those songs And the guy's a lightweight, the voice is light, the lyrics are nothing substantive, but the hooks are there. If you're looking for just a lightweight pop exercise with great melodies, Bruno Mars is the guy right now. I I give this album a burn it. Yeah, I'd agree. It's a burn it, Greg, because I don't
3: know if you need to own the entire (laughs) album. You probably don't need to hear Gorilla again. I wanted to play it for people just to give you a sense of that's him being deep. (laughs) On on the one hand, he's being kind of randy, but he also is talking about his 2010 Coke possession bust. Got a body full of liquor with a cocaine kicker. It's a little distressing. He is 27 now. They grow up so fast these days, right? (laughs) He's, He's trying to be a little raunchier, a little harder at times. That's not what we want from bruno mars we want the light pop and he does give us lots of that whether he's aping the police at one point you know you said there's no edm he does channel a little bit of daft punk at times Mm -hmm. on this album it is all appropriation but it's incredibly well packaged produced polished and catchy as heck so absolutely a burn it for bruno mars's unorthodox jukebox what do we have on the show next week Next week, Jim, we're going to take a look at how satire is used in some great pop songs. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Adam Yaffe helped with our recording. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. Our assistant producer is Annie Minoff. Our intern is Griffin Waterman. And our fearless leader, our executive producer, Tori southside Malatia. he's a charmer too.
0: Everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say.
1: Distance operator, please place this call. You know it's not for fun.
6: New messages.
7: Hi, I just wanted to call in response to your caller who asked for advice picking a song to sing and to play on the ukulele. You made some disparaging remarks about six strings better than four, but I just wanted to say that the beauty of the ukulele, uh, being a four-stringed instrument and set up as it is, you can make pretty much any chord on the ukulele very simply, even if you're just a beginner or even not experienced at all at playing the guitar. So it makes it a great instrument for giving yourself something to sing along to, especially if you have someone else you want to sing with. And my advice for picking a song would be you can pick pretty much any song that you can find the chords for on the internet because the chords aren't hard to learn and uh, it can be a really enjoyable thing for people who maybe don't know how to play the guitar or just want something uh, a little bit easier. So that's it. Keep up the good work. Thanks. I'm Jimmy Gray. This is Scott Van Buren from Chicago, Illinois. Loved the show about shoegaze. One of my favorite genres by far. I was really hoping you would say something about the album Isn't Anything by My Bloody Valentine. It's to this day favorite
0: record. It sounds fresh to me every
7: time I hear it, and it blows my mind over and over. I really feel like they really did something unique. It's just an incredible record. Yeah, thanks a lot. Hi, uh, my name is Sam Kim, calling from Northbrook, Illinois. I really liked your uh, episode on Shoegaze Rocks, and you spoke about all these bands that were influenced by the Shoegaze acts like My Bloody Valentine, Drive. I started halfway through the episode, and I didn't hear any mention of the Smashing Pumpkins, which I think took a lot from that sound and that aesthetic, especially in their second album, Siamese Dream*. Like you listen to the instrumental break on *U.S.A.* as well. middle, you know, hard rock song that's just going at it with a bunch of fuzz wall of guitars and and songs like Soma and Mayonnaise that really make use of those fuzz guitar tones, as well as using, you know, a lot of these instrumental breaks to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. And I feel like those bits are very shoegaze inspired, just all I wanted to say. <laughs> Kurt Winlaner
6: from San Francisco, California. I just listened to the Shoe Days show, and I thought it was great. But as a fan of both Ride and Oasis, I felt compelled to call in and comment about the uh, Andy Bell discussion, because I think a lot of us believe that Andy Bell joining Oasis was really an evolution of Mr. Bell as opposed to a denigration of him. I think that he's been permitted to uh, write songs on a couple of the albums, including a fan favorite on the Don't Believe the Truth album that are real big pieces of work, that are really big evolutions and kind of derived sound mixed with the Brit pop sound. So anyway, I think a lot of us out there are fans of both genres, trip prop and of the few days of the genre, and fans of both Ride and Oasis and the like. And I think that a lot of us see it as a good coupling, in fact, and I think that Mr. Bell's current status with Mr. Gallagher and GDI is not too bad of a show either. So thanks so much. Bye.
1: No more messages.
3: To share your opinions on Sound Opinions. Call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.
0: Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you.